Want the reward? Do the damn work. Challenge yourself. Inspire change. Choice, not luck. What's happening, everybody? Todd Crandall getting ready to do another Ignite Euphoria podcast, and I have one Josh Gallup with me today. How are you, sir? Good. I cannot believe you wore that hoodie. <laughs> what else am I going to wear? And you did it on purpose, didn't yep. you? Mm-hmm. Um, as soon as I saw that, I'm like, I know exactly <laughs> what I'm going to do on a funny level and a, uh, a serious level. So let's go back to the day when really all this banter started starting or started with Michigan, Ohio State, where you were physically and where you were mentally and emotionally. How about we start with that? Yeah. It was, uh, I was in PHP and you would come in and do lunch with us and either I'm wearing something Michigan or something band related. That's just sort of what I do. And you started giving me hell about Michigan. Then we went back and forth for a minute. Didn't know you for nothing. You know what I mean? At that point I read your book and I knew that this place had what I was looking for, but didn't know you as a person and in a headspace, you know, I just... I was just asked to leave like a month before because I was using and just trying to rebuild, not even rebuild, find some sort of self-esteem and motivation to keep on going. And then you just joking like that showed that you're an actual person. You weren't this guy on a pedestal that's the, that's done all these things. You were a person that had a sense of humor that I could play with, I guess is a good way to put it. So let's... Let's keep rolling with this. What did that do for you, I I guess, motivation-wise, maybe, self-esteem-wise? What was that like? And let me me back up, Josh. The reason I'm asking that is I could see the pain and hurt and, dare I use the word hopelessness, on your face at that time. And I was doing exactly what you said. I was just trying to break the ice. So tell me what that actually did for you to be a part of Racing for Recovery. It made me comfortable. I felt like I could, I'd, not necessarily that I belonged here, but I could exist here. I could do something here. I could attempt to move forward. Where before any other treatment center that I've ever been in, nobody's really taken the time to even joke. It's always business, 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 package, business, business, and that's it. There's nothing really trying to figure out who I was and what I was about and what do I really like at my core. So it just made everything more comfortable and easygoing. So let's talk about what, how you ended up here. Mm-hmm. What, what's your story? <coughs> Excuse me. Bless you. Sorry. Like, how did you, how did you get here? Well, I grew up on a farm out outside of Lyons, Ohio, is the best way to put it. You know, had what I considered to be a relatively normal childhood. You know, it, it was mainly it, when you live on a farm, you work on a farm. That's just the way it works. And a lot of work and a lot of 4-H. But my, <laughs> my perception of my grandpa's attitude towards me was that he hated me absolutely 100% could not stand me. And that's a perception of a five-year-old. You know what I mean? And I carried that with me forever. I still carry it with me. It, it, it doesn't go away. It's, it's just, that's how I felt. 
And I beat myself up for years over that. And through the process of that, low self-esteem, negative self-image, all of that, and I started doing drugs to be popular because I didn't like myself. So I could find a group of people that liked the stuff that I had, not necessarily liked me, you know? And I just fell in with the drug crowd and did drugs for almost 20 years. How old were you when you first started? 15, 16, somewhere around there. And you mentioned this earlier, was your choice to use twofold? Basically, I don't feel good and I'm trying to, quote, fit in with a certain group. Yep. Did it work? Did it change how you felt? Did oh, you... yeah. Drugs fixed my problem. I'm, 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 they did. But they also caused how many problems behind it. You know what I mean? My life became straight chaos as soon as I started doing drugs. Yeah, sure, I wasn't feeling the pain of grandpa not liking me and me being fat in school and me being LD. I wasn't feeling that anymore. But yet they were creating so many other problems that it wasn't even funny. So um, you brought, you just mentioned this because when I do these things, I'm very cognizant of some of the sensitive information. Mm -hmm. But you talked about I don't want to call it a, a disability. You're learning uh, problems, let's say. Yep. How did that fit into your low self-esteem when you were a kid growing up? Oh, that was <laughs> a big part of it because I, I have a different sense of humor, I guess. And being, I weighed, I think, 220 pounds in the sixth grade. So I was just a big kid. And then with the learning disability, I was an easy target. You know what I mean? Going through school, kids pick on kids. That's what you do. And I was an easy target. So instead of letting them pick on me, I would pick on myself first. You know, I would just tear myself down to get them laughing with me was my perception. Yeah, sure, I'm laughing, they're laughing, but I'm doing nothing but just tearing myself up on the inside. So it played a major role because I learned that at least if they're not laughing at me, if they're laughing with me, I feel like I'm in control. That is a powerful statement. What what did you use? And I'm being serious about this. Mm -hmm. Were sports and even being a fan of Michigan, were those are some of your coping skills or release things you used as a kid to deal with some of these thoughts and feelings? Food. <laughs> Food's what that that's how I found relief was in food before I found drugs. Um, I was really big into 4-H. You know, I've shown animals all the way through from 9 to 19, and that helped you know what I mean? Working on the farm sort of did, but that's when grandpa really rode me was on the farm. And it's not like he was maliciously mean. You know what I mean? I would screw up. He would yell at me. That's the way it would work. But when you're eight driving a tractor, it's bound to happen. So it, as I said in the beginning, it was all my perception of how my grandpa was treating me. But that's the only thing that matters to me is my perception. It doesn't matter how anybody else sees it. It matters how I'm seeing it and how it makes me feel. And it took me so long to understand that. Where did you learn that concept? Here. So I want to come back to that, but I'm going to give you the opportunity because, you know, we don't do a bunch of war stories in here, but if you want to talk about what drugs drugs and alcohol did to you and some of the losses and so forth, please feel free to do that. <laughs> well, I guess the biggest one would have to be my second child was born addicted to heroin. And that, I, 
that's hard to deal with. That's always going to be hard to deal with, you know, just knowing how my behaviors is going to affect her. And then, of course, when she was born addicted, the state removed my children from my custody. And because my parents live in the state of Michigan, they had to sit in foster care for around two months. It was like seven weeks, something like that. So it's, it's not so much what my drug use did to me. It's what it did to the people around me that is not necessarily an issue, but I, those are the things I have to cope with today. What, it, what I did to myself is what I did to myself, but yet what I did to other people that didn't have any control over what I was doing, that's a sticking point with me. That's a good story. And again, this is part, everybody that comes in here is like us. We're all going through something that we chose to use drugs to deal with, right? But I knew putting this thing together, it's like there's another piece of this. And this is the impact our choice has had on those family members. And hearing you say this right now just validates what Racing for Recovery really stands for. Were you cognizant at that time of like, what you were doing emotionally to other people and were you, were you, what were you looking for? Were you looking for help at that point? Were you cognizant of, again, of these feelings of what was going on and what you needed? This whole idea, at least for me, from, from my experiences of I was on drugs, I didn't know what I was doing makes no sense because I was on drugs for 20 years and I made a decision every time I did something shitty. Every time I did it is I knew, knew the consequences of it, but did it anyways because it didn't matter. I, I knew what I was doing to my family. I knew what I was doing to my kids, but I didn't care because I was so self-absorbed and so selfish about my feelings. I feel like crap. I need this. I feel like crap. I need this. I feel like crap. I need this. Nothing else mattered. Not even the life of a baby inside somebody's belly didn't matter, you know, and it's hard to say that, but yet it's true, you know, and yeah. <laughs> I, I admire you on many levels, but the honest, honesty that you show like right now with what you're saying is beautiful. And I, I can't wait for people to see this because I want them to look at themselves like that. Right. I tried lying about everything for 20 years and nothing ever worked out. It got me to the bottom of a barrel, destroying my kids' lives, hoping somebody could help me. So the only thing that I know I have to do now is be honest with myself and with everybody else. Do I like my story? No. Do I think it can help somebody? Yes. 100%. So let's talk about moving into um, changing your life. You've, you've sought sought treatment elsewhere. Mm-hmm. What, again, what was the mindset when you were going in to ask for help and what did you want? And then let's talk about what you got and what you didn't get. From other places? Yeah. So you're the first time you seek help, what are you looking for? Somebody wants me to do this. You know what I mean? My parents want me to go to treatment. The state of Ohio wants me to go to treatment. These other people are saying, if you don't do A, you're going to do B. And at that point, it's like, all right, you know, maybe I should try A for a little bit, but not really buying into it. I, I had a lot of issues with other programs. I, 
I don't learn well from reading material. That that's not the way my brain works. So more like what we're doing now, more of a conversation. I'm going to take more away from that. And every other treatment center I've ever been at has always been out of a packet, learning out of a packet. And once you've been through a whole cycle of packets, it doesn't matter what package you're in, doesn't matter what company they're from. That's the exact same thing. So it just never worked for me because I was fighting it the entire time. Did you, did you know what you were even looking for with respect to help? Nope. I was just trying to make somebody else happy. So you're in these other places and this is a part of where, even though all of us that come in here have no self-esteem, there is some self-esteem in there was saying these packets aren't working for me. That's Mm -hmm. self-esteem. Uh, did you ever vocalize that? Okay, that's, I just wanted that's not self-esteem, yep. right? Yeah, I just wanted through the program and I'll do whatever I have to do for these three months to get out of here. And how often did that brief moment of sobriety last? If I completed the programs, maybe a month or two. The longest stretch of sobriety I've had before racing was in prison. I didn't use for three years when I was in prison. So again, would you say that it's not really healing? It's just not using. Yep. hundred percent. Anytime I'm doing something for somebody else that I don't want to do, that isn't helpful to me at all. So let's talk about how you got in here. You're at another agency and this is where the, our Cleveland book was at. So how did that? So I, I had to come here twice. The first time I was at another agency and I heard talk about this place. So I called my mom and she said, yeah, that's, I was looking up on the internet about that too. And it seems like it might be something you want to try. So I came here, attempted it, was still allowing outside influences to control me, made a horrible decision to use, got asked to leave. And when I got asked to leave, you guys have already, or racing already gave me the, there's more than one way to Cleveland and choices and consequences. So I knew when I got asked to leave here, there was something about this place. I was only here for maybe 10 days, but there was something about racing that made sense. I didn't know exactly what it was, but it was the vibe, the way you talked, the way the other clinicians talked just felt right to me. And then that's when um, Dan told me that I needed to go to detox and then do a 30 day program to be able to come back. So I knew when I left, I'm reading these books. I got pretty much, you know, what, five weeks to read these two books. And as I said, my reading comprehension isn't the best, but by God, I'm reading these books cause this makes too much fricking sense. So I read both books and then was just hooked. And <laughs> I probably bugged the living hell out of Dan trying to get back in here the second time because I knew that there's something here. Did you know, well, I'm going to ask you this. Mm-hmm. When, when people make a choice and they lose an opportunity to be with us, were you treated with respect when that process? Oh, 100%. Good. 100%. You know, well, and it, my end probably helped things too because Dan and somebody else that used to work here knocked on my door, opened it up, and Dan said, so what's going on? I said, I'm high as a kite right out from Jump Street, didn't try to lie about it. This is what I'm doing. Really got no good reasoning for it because there, in my opinion, isn't a good reason to get high, but this is what's up. And then just as I'm packing up my stuff, Dan and this other person's talking to me the entire time, just telling me, I, I think Dan even said, cause then even, you know, hiring six hippies in a Volkswagen van, I knew this place had something. 
So I think I asked Dan like 15 times, I can come back, right? I can come back, right? And yeah, you got me back. So you're reading the Cleveland book and choices. What, and you specifically have talked about how much that Cleveland book helped you. What was that mindset like? You're reading this. How were you figuring it out for yourself that you could do it? I don't think right then and there was me knowing that I could do this. Because, you know, my, my self-esteem is still in the trash. It's still non-existent. Uh, but I knew that this made a lot more sense than 12-step programs. This made a lot more sense than any other treatment center that I've been to. And I'm sort of reading it, I guess, is a good descriptor. Because if I don't understand a word, I skip over it and try to fix it. it that, that's a long process. But all I knew is I loved what you were saying about I'm no longer an addict because that always took power away from me having to identify as an addict. And when I stopped identifying as an addict is when I started to get sober. And that was just just, just reading that because it's through that book a couple of times and I, I actually got the book on tape too so I could listen to it mm-hmm. and comprehend it a lot better. But it, it, it was just knowing that it's okay to feel like this and I'm no longer alone, I guess is a good way to put it. Wow, that's heavy. You brought this up and I want to get this in there. How long have you been sober now? April of 2020, so 18 months. Beautiful. Something like that. Beautiful. I, I, I don't count. I just know it was April 11, 2020. That's awesome. That's awesome. So let's get into the process of you becoming the awesome person that you are. You did the PHP. Of course, I gave you a bunch of crap for wearing that stupid hoodie you're wearing. And we still hey, do seven that. Seven and oh, that's all I'm saying. Yeah, it, it is. It, it's working this year, isn't it? Oh, yeah. Right? What, um, talk about what you did, the, the process of it, the, the information that was given, the work you put into it. What was your recovery process like here at Racing for Recovery? So... At other treatment centers, I always tried to be the popular kid. I tried to be the funny kid because that worked for me in high school. You know what I mean? Once again, at least you're not laughing at me, you're laughing with me. So I decided when I was when I got back here and got through PHP that relationships probably weren't a good idea for me. And when I say relationships, I mean friendships, I mean romantic relationships, I mean relationships with my kids. You know, I had to cut... I would talk to my kids in the morning and I would talk to them at night for the first two or three months I was here. Maybe seen them three or four times in that time period because I felt like I needed to get to know who I was. I needed, I, I didn't need somebody telling me this is what you need to do to figure out who you are or this is who you are. I needed to find that out. So I probably spent the first two or three months pretty much either, either I was at IOP or I was in that room just trying to be okay with being with me before I tried adding in other people. And then it was probably two months into it, two and a half months into it, I finally decided to give yoga a try. You know, I, I, I never thought a farm kid from northern, or, yeah, northern Ohio would get into yoga, but man, that really helped in that beginning period. It, it just... It centered me. It quieted down all the noise in my head for an hour. And three days a week, just getting that silence became, it. I, I had to have it. 
you know, it, it wasn't about what I was doing on the mat. It wasn't about getting the pose correct. It was about shutting my brain up for an hour and just getting some silence. And then normally after yoga, I would always feel great and I wouldn't beat myself up. So I knew that that definitely worked, that exercise can be a part of this, even if it is something as simple as doing yoga. And that's what started me walking. So I used to wake up every morning and walk three miles. And once again, I would feel great. And, and that was awesome. And then the major part, okay, so, so that got my self-esteem building, I guess. That got my confidence building. And then I did weekly sessions with the counselors here. And that's where I really dug in and came to some really deep realizations of, you know, you're doing this to yourself. <laughs> what Matt Boston says that all the time, you're doing it to yourself, man. And I really was, I was doing it to myself. Everything that was in my head, I put there because of something else somebody said and my perception of what they meant by that. I never asked them what they meant by that, but that that's, that's how I felt about it. And then I would just beat myself up. And the first counselor I had, I think I was with her for six months, something like that, just really helped me walk through all the traumatic, not, not all, but a good portion of the traumatic stuff that happened in my life. And I'm not going to say get over it. I'm not going to say deal with it, but I learned how to live with it. You know, I, I learned how to not beat myself up over it anymore. And that's the important part to me. Is this where the stuff with your grandpa started to shift? Is he still alive today? Nope. No. Nope. Grandpa Howie died in 03. Um, it, it, it was something Amy said. So she recommended that I looked into the time period of when I was born and what all happened during that. And there was a lot that went down in 1986 with Gallup Brothers Farms. And once again, my perception is the only one that matters about yeah. my past. Um, I think he took a lot of that out on me because I came around the same time that it happened. And once I started thinking about thinking of it that way, you know, he just didn't know how to deal with his anger. He didn't know how to deal with these feelings. So he made a poor decision and took it out on a child, but yet it made me feel better about it. You know what I mean? He, he was from a time period where you didn't talk about these things. You didn't deal with these things. You pulled up your bootstraps and you moved on. That's the time period he was from. And it just helped me put a lot of that to rest. What happened happened and me beating myself up over it every single day isn't going to fix nothing. I tried doing that for 20 years and it didn't get me nowhere. That's called empathy, I believe, right? It's on a couple of our shirts. Yeah, maybe a few. So individual counseling helped you. Mm -hmm. What else were you getting around here that was helping you be the awesome dude you are today? Definitely the peer support, you know, from I, I once again, I, I, I thought that friendships were dangerous. So I didn't have a big group of friends, but I had a core support of three or four people that I knew if I picked up the phone and I was going through something, I could call them and they're dropping everything they're doing to come figure out what I need. And then it was the same thing back with me, whatever you need, give me a call. And just knowing that and having people in the same screwed up frame of mind as me, just it, it made me feel safe, I guess is a good way to put it. And it made me feel not as 
embarrassed about what I put myself and my family through. So you're, you're talking about the lodging aspect of what Racing for Recovery offers. There's plenty of upshots to it. Oh, yeah. What are some of the things that you learned from people who, may, who didn't make consistent good choices? How did you cope with some of those hardships? You, you know, <laughs> when that would happen, I would look back at it as I've been there. I've done that. I've not, I've, I've not wanted to look at things that have taken me back out. And it, it sort of is what it is. And I'm so grateful when I see them walk back through this door or hear about them in another program because, hey, if this didn't work for you, okay. Yep. But please find something that does. Right. You're, you and your family deserves the best version of, okay, let me restart that. Me and my family deserve the best version of who I am. And I feel like every family with somebody that's suffering with addiction deserves that. And just because one program didn't work doesn't mean another won't. That's a sound bite. And that's spot on accurate too. When did you, so you're here, you did the year with us, which is great. Most people that are successful do that. When did you start to say, okay, I'm ready to get my next outside of treatment life going? That would have happened way, it would have probably happened about five or six months of being here because the way racing for recovery worked for me was you guys, racing is extremely family oriented mm -hmm. and they from my perception is they want you to be back involved with your family and that means the farm for me and it was fall time last year and I asked dad if I could help I didn't want paid I just wanted to help you know what I mean to see if I liked it and he wasn't having any of that so whatever on that but racing allowed me to go work for my dad and dad understood I don't know if I'm gonna like this or not I haven't done this sober since I was 12. You know what I mean? So I have no idea. If this gets to be too much, then I'm going to have to step away. And that was my first attempt at working a job, I guess. And it went great. Still love farming. Still what I want to do. Still, uh, it's yeah. And, and that went well. So after that went well, I decided, okay, so I know I hate factories. Can't stand factories, can't stand warehouses. Every time I tried to work in one, it's always went bad. So maybe I should go back to school. So I started talking to Dan Williams, and he brought up the OOD, Ohioans with the Disabilities. Well, pretty much if you have a substance abuse diagnosis, we'll work with you in getting you in a career that you want. And I decided to give a CDL a shot. So I think I started that process because... Now, this is all COVID time, too. So everything's slowed down. Everything's, but I think I started, it took like six months before I started school. And then after I, I completed my CDL and I have my CDL now, after I got that, I think I still slow played getting a job for like two months because I want, really wanted to make sure that I'm doing the right thing here. And then found a place that my buddy works at that was willing to hire me and it, 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 I guess to answer your original question, it was more of a process. Well, and you're, you're hitting on some key points in there. You did the work you needed to do to heal first. Then you slowly started adding some balance of getting back into seeing if, if work and what type of work is going to help. 
you also, correct me if I'm wrong, you were also doing some nighttime evening stuff with us just to maintain yep. that educational stuff, right? Well, and, and, and that was the awesome part about racing. I, I guess the best way to, pro- to say it is as soon as I proved myself that I'm moving in a positive direction, it was sort of hands off at that point. And, you know, let us know what your schedule is and we'll work with you. So if dad needed me in the morning, I could do IOPs at night. If you needed me at night, I could do IOPs in the morning. It wasn't yet to be here at this time to do this. It was, okay, so what are you attempting to do and how can we help? Tell us about the process of being the good, productive, sober dad that you are and how you've healed from some of those emotional hardships you talked about earlier. It's hard, you know, because I, I, I think, I believe I'm always going to deal with low self-esteem and a negative self-image. That's just something that's always going to be ingrained in me. So it can be difficult when I'm doing well because I'm still, still to this day waiting for the other shoe to drop. But I take a step back and look at everything I have accomplished, good and bad, because it all hasn't been good. You know, there's definitely been some mistakes that were made along the way that I wish I could have back. But I take a step back and look at that and remind myself, I did this. Racing helped me get here, but I did this. I put in this work. I'm where I'm at because I wanted this, and it helps me move forward. Being in a position, because even with my eldest, you know, she's five, going to be six in February. I might have been sober for six months of her life in the beginning, maybe. So actually being able to watch my children grow sober and not worrying about, oh, I got to go to Toledo in 15 minutes. Oh, I got to find this. I got to find that. And I can solely focus on my kids and what they're doing. It's there. There's no words to describe it. You know, I, I got a terrorist of a three-year-old and a cult leader of a five-year-old and they're absolutely nuts, but I wouldn't trade them in for the world. That's beautiful. How was the relationship with your, your family healed as well? Your mom and dad? It's, <laughs> it's good. You, you, you know, I, I, I don't know how else to describe it. We sort of, I had to prove in the beginning, like, okay, I'm just going to say it. So it's, it's like every time that I've went to treatment, if I completed it, I would get out and things would just go back to normal. You know what I mean? Three, four months later, I would start stealing stuff. It would all go to shit. And that's the way they sort of did it. But as me being a parent now, I understand that because you want to believe in your children that they are doing the right things. So this time around, it was sort of the same thing with a little bit more steeper stipulations, I guess. They didn't allow, they didn't let me take a car right away like they used to. There was a lot of steps that were taken, but through this process, I've proven that I'm moving in the right direction and that I'm doing the right things and I'm attempting, no, I am living a better life. And you can see it in their face that they believe it before you can never see it, you know, and this time I see it in their face that they believe it. And that just empowers me to keep going. And why my parents put up with my shit for how long, I don't know. But I'm so glad they did. 
And then one thing he said in IOP, I was having a difficult time with my feelings about how, what I did to my dad through his whole process of a liver transplant and me not being there and all of that. And you you had me ask him the most simplest question, but yet I think it helped both of us a lot. You just had me ask him, what did my addiction do to you? Something as simple as that. And we probably talked for 45 minutes about it. And, and, And it wasn't all negative stuff. And that was the amazing part of it. But actually sitting down and having the conversations that I never had before just opened up so many doors. What did you learn from that conversation that helped build your relationship with your dad more? He's always just wanted me to, wanted, he always wanted to see me do right. It didn't matter what I was doing. He just wanted me to see me do right. And when I was doing wrong, it would tear him up, you know, and being high, I didn't even care, let alone think about what I'm doing to my dad. But being sober, just knowing his, I don't want to say undying faith, but I believe he knew at some point that I would get my shit together and move forward. And he didn't want to lose faith in that. You know, hearing you say that, it reminds me, my dad said in the, um, the ESPN thing, and God, I can still hear it. That was back in 2007. He said, we always knew Todd would get through this if it didn't kill him first. And man, hearing you say that about your dad and reflecting on what my dad said, that again comes back to our side of this, just having empathy of what we were doing to innocent yeah. people. Yep. You know, and as fathers now, it gives us a totally different perception, not only of our dads, but what it's like to be a dad, yeah, right? 100%. Give me, I've never asked anybody this, so as we're winding down here, I have a, a question for you. Is there anything you wish we would have done for you or that you... Um, now that's a wrong question, or maybe something that we did that, uh, you didn't understand at first that now you do. So I guess what I'm basically asking you is any suggestions you have for us. And is there anything that at first you're like, I don't want to do this. Why are they asking me to do this, that you did it and it worked? Only, and it's not really a suggestion. It's just a statement. Keep doing what you're doing. Um, hundred percent, you know, and, and I, I said it earlier, not every program is going to work for everybody. Yeah. And I don't believe that racing for recovery is here to fix everybody. They're here to attempt to find something that works for you is my experience. It's not the cookie cutter. This is going to work. This is what you have to do. It's the, you know, uh, and housing when you introduce yourself for the first time. Yeah. What are the questions? Who are you and what can we do for you? Right? Yeah. Never been asked that before. What we can do for you. And, and I know you've heard that a couple of times, but it's so true. No other treatment centers ever asked me, what can we do for you? And then what was the second part? I'm sorry. I just, something that maybe we suggested or Exercise. offered to you. Yeah. 100%. You know, I was never really big into playing sports as a kid. I think I played one season of football, got hit once, said, nope, not doing that. 
And then baseball, I used to play quite a bit, but still wasn't a fan of running. Just a little, just doing the yoga three times a week, one hour a day, and then walking three to five miles every morning was such a confidence booster because I never believed that I would do that in my entire life. And then actually sitting down and doing it every morning just helped me in the confidence department. It would, yeah. I love how when you were talking about yoga earlier and walking, you said it wasn't about doing a perfect move or my time on the mat. It's what I got mentally when I was done with being on the mat. And that's exactly what we're talking about. Yep. It's not how fast, how much you lifted or any of that. It's like, what are you going to get mentally and emotionally when you're done? Right? Beautiful. Um, I do ask this of everybody. Is there anything you want to ask me that we that you've never asked or something we're after talking today that comes to mind? I mean, me and you pretty much got a pretty open relationship, yeah. I guess is a good way to put it. So I think I've asked everything of you that I would like. The only thing, I guess I got a statement, Motley Crue still sucks. <laughs> yeah. Look at the, you see the little guys of them over there, right? Yep. I, Josh, I, and we'll finish with this. Um, I knew it's weird when I come in and I see people and I remember going into Julie's PHP that day and you sat right to the left, you had Michigan sweatpants on and you had a Michigan shirt on, you know, and I could see just the rejection and stuff on you and that banter from that day has led us to have this awesome bond. And I am, yeah. I'm proud of you, dude. You've done it. Thank you. You know, and we're here for you as long as you need us to be, but go on there and keep living, dude. Well, and that's the other awesome part about racing for recovery is I haven't been a client in probably close to six months and I wasn't a client and I was still in your housing program. You, yeah. you guys allowed me to stay. You know, I, th there was no, as long as I kept moving forward and doing the right thing, there really wasn't a, you need to get out situation. And even still me not being in housing, me not being a client, any one of your clinicians will answer my phone call. If I'm going through a difficult time, or if I just need somebody, not, not even going through a difficult time, just need somebody to talk to, they'll still answer. And that's awesome. That's people loving people, and people actually wanting to help. And that's awesome. That's a beautiful statement. I'm glad you made it. It's true. When people come in and say, well, how long is your program here? It's like, as long as you need it. Mm -hmm. You know, and one of the things we've learned from the people that we have been privileged to be of service to is that lodging aspect of it. We're now extending it where we've been acquiring uh, more rental properties to give people a chance to have a place to stay and build their credit even after services are they're no longer being utilized because that's what it takes I do not understand this concept of going in someplace and completing a 90-day program you're fixed what, Go what away. the hell did you even finish nothing didn't nothing. even start nothing right didn't even start nothing. it takes time to mm -hmm. but at that time by doing it with us the way that works best for the individual that's what makes racing and for the 16 unique. months that i lived here was a drop in the bucket compared to the 20 years that i put into screwing up my head yep so completely worth it 100 percent worth it this was awesome thanks for coming on dude thanks
Uh, if you want to check out more Ignite Euphoria podcasts, they're on our YouTube channel. Please tune in to Racing for Recovery's live stream support group meetings every Thursday night at 630 Eastern. Until next time, have a great sober day.